Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to those of you that are in the room with us right now and those of you who are watching online at home or wherever you're at. We're so glad that you are here with us today, even if you're not here with us today, right? We're all gathered as one body of Christ all over the place, and we're worshiping God together, and, uh, and we can feel the body of Christ being present even when we're distant from each other. And I mentioned in the service earlier this morning that if you are watching from home right now and you want to gather with another group of people, maybe in your backyard or your driveway or a park or something, and watch the service together, that's a great idea, a great way to do this. If you're not ready to be in the room with us here, uh, which, which a bunch of us are in here, and we're thankful for that, um, then you can certainly gather with people in a different setting and watch online and still have some community with each other, but be connected back to your local body of Christ. So we're glad for those who are able to do that. Also, by the way, today, in case you did not know, our Kid Connection ministry is back open again. It's kind of a light version of it with social distancing and some capacity restrictions, but we've got a bunch of kids down there right now. And so if you are ready to come back, We've got services here, and we've got kids' ministry available downstairs. We've also got an overflow area outside. So if you do not want to be in the room here, you can still come here, watch the service live outside on our north patio. There's an outdoor overflow area with speakers and a TV and everything, if that is of interest to you. But thank you for all of you for being here this morning. And I hope that seeing everybody else is an encouragement to you and getting to worship God together. I, I know that we're not projecting and singing out and everything, but uh, if it means listening to music like that, I'm okay with it. That was beautiful and worshipful, and it's just a great experience to be here worshiping God with other, other people. And of course, you know that there are hundreds and hundreds more who are watching online and worshiping at a distance. Well, I want to ask you a question, and for those of you at home, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand for this too, but for everybody that's here in the room, I just want to ask you, how many of you like road trips? Anybody like going on a road trip? That's fun for you, okay? How many of you have driven more than eight hours in a day? Anybody? Driven more than eight hours in a day? Okay. All right. You at home, you can play along too. Raise your hands. How many have driven more than 10 hours in a day? Anybody done that? What about 15 hours? Anybody more than 15 hours? What about way more than 15 hours? So I better stop there. That's probably getting into the danger zone. I like, I like driving. I like long road trips. I remember one time when I was making a drive. This was before I was married. And I had a long road trip. It was going to take me all day long. I started early in the morning. And it starts out a lot of fun. You've got snacks. You've got coffee. Back then, I have energy drinks, right, to keep me awake. And you're doing all sorts of things to just keep yourself busy and occupied. I remember it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. The grass was green. The trees were beautiful. The road curved back and forth. And that sort of kept me awake, you know. I went and got lunch at a drive through kept on going. And at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it hit. You know, my eyes started to get droopy. The road was straight and long at this point. The scenery was pretty boring. I won't tell you what state I was in, but it was pretty boring. And, uh, and I, started to, I started to lose it. My eyes just started, you know, I could still drive, but my eyelids were just a little bit lower, right? And I kept on driving, and eventually they got a little bit lower and a little bit lower and a little bit lower until finally my eyes were completely closed. And they weren't closed for very long, probably a second or two. But in that second or two, a lot can happen. And, I, and the car started to drift to the right a little bit, and I, it kept drifting until I heard this sound. Now, does anybody know what that sound is? What is that sound? Yeah, that's a rumble strip. Somebody thought it was Chewbacca. Um, little different. That's more of a, this is, you know, kind of. The rumble strip is a scary sound when you are driving 
and your eyes are closed, and all of a sudden you realize, I might, I might be about to hit something. That, that's a scary sound. And rumble strips are an amazing thing. Uh, they keep you from going off course, or they let you know when you're going a little bit off course before you hit something like a guardrail. Now, we've had guardrails for a lot longer than rumble strips. Rumble strips are a more recent invention, but they save thousands of lives a year, and they stop countless accidents. We don't even know because of all the, the people that would hit it and then to go back on the road, and we don't even know. They might have gotten into an accident. The guardrail tells you if you've already gone way too far. That keeps you from going off a cliff. But the rumble strip stops you before you even get there. It gives you that sort of early alert that, hey, you are drifting off course. And you need to course correct or you're going to hit something really, really bad. That's what the rumble strip is there for. Well, today we're launching a new series. And it's going to be a book study of Colossians. We're going to work through the letter to the Colossians together. And one way to think of this letter is like a rumble strip. It's written to a church that is basically on track. They're doing a lot of good things. They're doing a lot of things right, but there are some dangers to the right and to the left. And the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, is going to write to this church and say, watch out. These are some warning signs you need to look out for, or your church is going to go off track. If you practice some of these things, if you follow some of these things, if you go into some of these negative influences, and they could ruin your church. Or they could ruin the testimony of your church. And right now, it's really good. We're going to talk about that. Their testimony is good. Things are going well in this church right now, but Paul sees some temptations to drift. And so he sends them this letter to encourage them to stay on the right path, not to drift off of it. Basically, what he's saying is you're on the right course. Don't get off the course. Now, with many things in life, there's a ditch on either side of the road, right? There's a way that you could get in trouble this direction, or there's a way you could get in trouble that direction, and you want to stay on the, the same lane. For instance, with being organized, it's a good thing to be organized, right? How many of you are big into organization? You love being organized. Okay. It's interesting to see some of the couples, both hands go up. Good for you guys. It's great to be organized, but can you be so obsessed with organization that it becomes a problem? Is that possible? You want to point to anybody? It can be a problem, right? But can you be so unorganized that it's a problem and now maybe the fingers should go in the other direction? Yeah. There's a ditch on either side of that road. It's really good to provide for your kids. I think we could all agree on that. It's good to provide for your kids. Can you provide so much for your kids that it's actually unhelpful for them? It's actually unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. But can you provide so little for your kids that it's also unhealthy for them? Absolutely. There's a ditch on either side of that road. It's good to eat food. I love eating food. And you can finish that analogy for me. There's a ditch on either side of that road. You know where this is going. The point is, there are problems we can get into if we veer off this way. There are problems we can veer off if we get off this way. And the rumble strips help to kind of give us that early alert, that early warning sign that we're kind of getting off course in one direction or another. And that's what the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians is like. It warns them about the negative influences that, that risk getting them away from being centered on Christ getting off track, losing their testimony, their impact as a church. Before we dive into this letter in more detail, I want to give you some background information. And not just because I want you to know the context, that's very helpful, obviously, but also because I think it's really important that we keep in mind, these are real historical people and real historical places that we're talking about. When we talk about the city of Colossae and the people there and the church there, and we talk about the Apostle Paul and Timothy and other people who are with him, these are all real people. This is not fiction. This is real historical stuff. And so we want to cover that and make sure we understand the, the background here. The author of the letter is, as I mentioned, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing from prison. Now, he could be writing from Ephesus. He could be writing from Caesarea. He could be writing from Rome. Most likely, he was writing from Rome. In fact, here's a, a map so you can get a picture, an idea 
of where Rome is located with reference to Colossae. It's a long ways away, but that's almost certainly where Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And he's not in prison alone. There are other people uh, with him there. There's another believer that's in prison with him that we hear about. And there's a whole other crew of people that are there with Paul who weren't in prison but were part of his team. Paul always worked in a team. He always had other people around him that he was investing in, mentoring, multiplying himself, training and teaching them to go do what he was doing. We don't hear a lot about those people, but we hear enough to know that's what he was doing. That was his MO. In fact, that's probably how the church in Colossae got started. Because Luke tells us in the book of Acts that as Paul was traveling around, he stopped for a while in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is about 80 miles away from Colossae, and, and Paul was there for two years. And he didn't travel outside of Ephesus. He stayed in Ephesus for two years, teaching there day after day. And Luke tells us that because of his ministry there for two years, the whole province of Asia, the Roman province of Asia, all of them heard the good news about Jesus. Because Paul stayed in two years in Ephesus teaching people. What happened was those people who were there with him in Ephesus went and carried that message out to other parts of the Roman province of Asia. And so other cities like Colossae and Laodicea and other places like that would have gotten a messenger who would have brought the gospel to them from Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And so there's a guy named Epaphras who was probably in Ephesus. And later we find out in the book of Colossians that Paul says he's the one who first brought the gospel to the people of Colossae. So he was probably there with Paul, heard the message from him, and then delivered the good news to the people in Colossae. And so these people that Paul is writing to are basically his spiritual grandchildren. And you can imagine what a big deal it would be to get a letter from the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, who they've never met, but they've heard a lot about, probably from Epaphras and, and from Philemon as well, who was probably involved in that whole process. Philemon's got a house church in Colossae. And so they've heard a lot about this guy. Now he sends a letter to them from prison. That's a big deal. That's amazing. You know, Colossae wasn't a very big city. Uh, it's located in what we would call today Turkey. It's the Roman province of Asia. And it's not very large. It's about 25 to 50,000 people were probably in Colossae. And they think that because there's an amphitheater there that fits about 5,000 people. So based on other historical cities, they figure that that's how, probably how big it was. If you want to compare that to something today, that'd be like a Baldwin or Kirkwood or even a Chesterfield, something like that, in that range of 25 to 50,000 people. The whole world's population back in this day was estimated around 300 to 400 million people, which is the population of the U.S. today. So you can think about it that way, that the global population was about the population of what the U.S. is today, and the city of Colossae is about the size of like a Baldwin or, or Kirkwood or Chesterfield in that range. Unfortunately, to this day, the city of Colossae, the ruins have never been excavated. And if you look it up on Google Maps, you'll see the outlines of the amphitheater and other buildings and things, but they've all been grassed over and filled in with dirt and have years and years of decay to them. And so you can't really make much out. And there's a good reason for that, which is there's another city more prominent, just a little ways away from them, called Laodicea. You've probably heard of Laodicea. And Laodicea is about twice as big as Colossae. And so it's gotten all the attention. All the archaeologists want to be in Laodicea. Nobody's excavating Colossae yet. Hopefully at some point they will, and then we'll get more information about this city. But that's the background information. And what I want you to do with that, now that you have a little bit of a picture of it in your mind, a little bit of sense of how big this place was, um, their relationship to the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, 
I want you to try to imagine what it was like to receive this letter. As, as we read it together over the next few months here, I want you to really put yourself into their shoes and think, how would they have heard this for the first time? How would it have struck them? How much do you think they cherished this letter? Could we cherish God's word in that way? Wow, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. And this is a letter that God inspired to give to them and then to pass on to us. They cherished it so much that they obviously made lots of copies of it and more copies were made. In fact, Paul even tells them at one point, make sure you share this with your sister church in Laodicea. So they get this letter as well. In fact, he even says, get the letter that I sent to them so that you guys can read that too. So these got copied and shared around and it's a big deal that they, that they had these. I want you to imagine that as we read through it together. And before we do that, I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me. And if you're at home, you can do this too. Let's bow our heads, we'll close our eyes, we'll just focus in on God and ask him to, to reveal his word to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance that we have to come together, the freedom that we have to come together and to worship you as we have this morning and to study your word and to learn from it. And God, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would reveal to us those things that we need to confess to you, that we need to repent of. Help us to, to, to see those areas and just turn them over to you, Lord, so that you can transform us and change us and, and make us into who you want us to be. And today, as we study the right path that Paul talks about in Colossians right at the beginning, I pray that there'd be unique and individual things for each one of us that we can walk away from here, that your Holy Spirit would convict in us and say, that's for you. That's the peace that you need to take and you need to work on or you need to surrender in your life. So Lord, we, we invite you and we ask you to come and to teach us this morning. And in your name we pray, amen. So you may already be there, but Colossians is where we're gonna be. So if you've got a Bible, pull it out. If you've got a phone, you can use the YouVersion Bible app, whatever you wanna use, get the Bible open to Colossians chapter one. We're gonna read this together. Verse one, this letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. Now right there you see something interesting. This is not just Paul that's writing. Timothy is a co-author with him of this letter. In verse 2, he says, we are writing. So we, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. That, that greeting there, grace and peace, that's a standard greeting that Paul gives in many of his letters. He, he gave the same greeting to the Ephesians and the Galatians and the Philippians and so on. It's a normal greeting that he gives, grace and peace to you. And then he says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes Paul goes here with his letters, and sometimes he does not. For instance, in Galatians, we get the same basic intro and greeting. Grace and peace to you. This letter is from Paul, all that stuff. But there, instead of going to, we always pray for you and give thanks to God, Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. That's not the letter you want to get from Paul, if you're a church in the New Testament, okay? You do not want, that's the guardrail letter. That's the you've already gone too far and you're scraping the side of your car letter. The Colossians is the rumble strip letter. So this is a good one. This is you're doing well. You just need to stay on track. You don't want the, the guardrail letter to the, to the Galatians. Now, since the Colossian people never met Paul, this had to be a really neat letter to receive. And I, I want us to really sink into that. And so what I want you to do is think about who is your favorite Christian author. And you can just shout it out if you're at home, say it out loud. Who's your favorite Christian author? Anybody? Bonhoeffer? 
Who else? Chuck Colson, okay. C.S. Lewis, I love it. Spurgeon, okay. This side's way more spiritual, guys. Jerry Bridges, all right. David Platt, very good, very good. Okay, so you've all got somebody in mind, okay? And you can think of whoever it is. And I know it's hard to say it through the mask and all that stuff. But you've got a favorite Christian author in mind. Now, I want you to imagine. Just, just hold on to that name. Imagine if that person sent you an email tomorrow that said, hey, hey, so-and-so, hey, you. And they called you by name. They didn't just say, hey, you. Hey, I'm praying for you every single day. Just imagine what that would do for you, right? This person that you know about, you've read their books, you love their way they think, the way they teach, you've learned so much from them um, from a distance, and now you get a personal letter from them that says, I'm praying for you every single day. I pray for you all the time. In fact, I thank God for you. How cool would that be, right? That'd be an amazing thing to experience. Maybe that sort of helps you to get into your mind what these Colossians were, were feeling, when they got this letter and what a big deal it was for them to get this, how encouraging would that be for Paul and, and his sidekick there, Timothy, to be saying, hey, we are praying for you, the Christians of Colossae, all the time. So I'm sure that they absolutely cherished this letter. And not only is Paul praying for them, but he's thanking God for them, which means there were reasons to thank God. There were good things he was hearing about them. There was a reputation that was positive. And so he's letting them know, I'm thanking God for you. And then he's going to share with them what the things he's thankful for are. And so one way to think about that is that these are the, the markers of, of the right stuff, being on the right path. This is the stuff you want to follow. Here's the stuff you're doing well, guys. These are the things that I'm thankful for. He says in verse 4, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, what I want to focus on as we launch into the study on Colossians is what are the things that Paul says he is thankful for? What are the things they're doing right what are the things that for us will be very instructive because we can learn from them and see what does Paul view as the right path? Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this before, but when federal agents are learning to detect counterfeit currency, what do they do that helps them to detect the fake money? They study the real thing, right? They look at the real thing. And I was actually curious this week because I've heard this many times. And I've used it in the past. And I went, I better just go make sure that that's true. So I did some research and I found out that it absolutely is true. That is exactly what they do. In fact, someone that I found was curious as me and they went and visited one of these places and they got an interview and they toured the place and they got to sit down and look at the currency and even some fake stuff. And, and they learned absolutely Federal agents will study real currency. They'll learn every little aspect about it, all the little nuances and holographic strips and images and things if you hold it up to the light and all that stuff. Because if they can memorize all of the nuances and details of the real thing, 
then even if there's some new counterfeit they've never seen before, they will be able to identify that it's not the real thing, not because it has the the marks of being a counterfeit, but because it doesn't have the marks of the real thing. And so what we want to do here right at the beginning, what Paul's going to do for us is give us the marks of the real thing. What does it look like to be on the right path? And there are three things that Paul's going to give us, three things that he says, this is what you're doing well, that I'm thankful for. And the first one is faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1 4 says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, that word Christ means anointed one. It's the word that was used in the Greek to translate for the Hebrew Messiah, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so when you see Christ Jesus, it just means the anointed Jesus or Messiah Jesus. It differentiates him from all the other Jesuses. And there were other Jesuses of that day, just as there are people named Jesus today. And so this isn't just any old Jesus. This is the Messiah Jesus, Christ Jesus, and that's, that's where their faith was. And this is a very short phrase here. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, but it actually tells us a couple of really important things about their faith. The first one is that they had a faith worth talking about. They had a faith worth sharing about. Paul is so far away, probably in Rome, hundreds of miles away, and he's hearing about their faith. This is a faith that was worth talking about. These are not people that just showed up to church and called themselves a Christian, but then lived however they wanted the rest of the week. These were people for whom their faith permeated every aspect of their lives. And when Paul is hearing about them from Epaphras, he is hearing not about this problem or that problem, just just that, but he's hearing about their faith. We have heard about your faith in Jesus. They had a faith worth talking about, a genuine faith, a reputation for faith. And the object of their faith was in Christ Jesus. Now, everyone has faith in something. Everyone has an object to their faith, whether that's Islam or or Buddhism or some other religion. Some people have faith in atheism. Some people have faith in themselves. But everyone has faith in something. Everyone believes in something. And the reason that Paul is thanking God for these people is because their faith was in the right place. Their faith was in Jesus Christ. And Paul talks about this in his letter to the Galatians, too. He says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God... By faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. What's he saying here? The object of your faith must be Christ. If you think it has anything to do with the good things that you do, or somehow doing enough good to outweigh the bad or anything like that, that is putting faith in yourself. That's putting faith in the things that you can do. And what Paul is saying, your faith, your trust, has to be in Christ alone and what he did. What he did on the cross to pay for your sins. Not something good that you can do like obeying the law or not somehow overpowering the bad with the good that you do. It's faith in Christ alone. And anything else means our faith is misplaced. Now, if you're a Christian, and some of you are Christians, some of you probably are not Christians, Some of you may just be kind of exploring what it looks like to to have faith in Jesus and what this whole thing is all about, and that's great, and we're glad you're here or glad you're watching online. But if you are a Christian, you may hear that and think, yeah, I get that. Like, I I believed in that. I know, I, I trusted in the gospel. I trusted in Jesus when I heard the gospel. I trusted in him for my salvation, and so I'm good. But let me just ask you this question. What was your faith in last Thursday? 
What was your faith in last Tuesday? Let me put it a different way. If we were able to follow you around and see the things that you did and the people that you talked to and what you said and the people that you talked about and the things you spent money on, the things that had a control over you in your life, would we walk away and say, their faith is clearly in Jesus? See, here's the reality for me. I don't know if this is true for you, but it's true for me. If you looked at my life last week, you would not always have walked away and said, okay, his faith is in Jesus Christ. It is for salvation. I, I absolutely trust in Jesus for my salvation. But the, sometimes the, the way that I think or the things that I say or the way that I live my life does not reflect a faith in Jesus Christ. It reflects a faith in other things. A faith in myself, a faith in my stuff, a faith in my reputation, a faith in whatever else. But it doesn't always reflect a genuine faith in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus for my salvation, but that doesn't always mean that I live like it. But that's one of the marks of being on the right path. Having a reputation being known for, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. It's worth talking about. It's a faith that's worth talking about. The second mark of being on the right path is a love for all of God's people. In verse 4, he says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. People. So not only did they have a reputation for their faith, but they had a reputation we have heard of. They had a reputation for being loving. And not just for loving other people, loving God's people. And not just for loving some of God's people, loving all of God's people. And yes, that is in the Greek. All God's people is right there. They had a love. They were known for this love for all of God's people. Let me ask you, do you think we have a problem today with Christians showing love to other Christians. Does that seem to be an issue that we face? Dwight Carson wrote a book that I think perfectly sums up this problem. It's called, Why Do Christians Shoot Their Wounded? It's a great question, isn't it? Why do Christians shoot they're wounded. The people who should be filled with the love of Christ, the people whose speech should always be with grace as if seasoned with salt, the people about whom Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you show love for one another. How is it that those people sometimes can be the most hurtful and the most hateful people toward other followers of Jesus? How can that even be possible? You don't have to talk to many people inside the church or outside the church to find out that Christians oftentimes have a reputation for being nasty to each other. And it should not be that way. We should have a love for all of God's people. This is why I believe the undivided mindset is so critically important for us. Because most of the time, the disagreements that we have with each other are based on preferences or convictions that we have allowed to fester and become bigger and we whine about them until they grow into something where we have this bitterness with each other and anger and hurtfulness and divisiveness that is not what God intended for his church to have. It's our sinful nature rearing its ugly head. We need to learn to have a love for all of God's people, even the ones we disagree with. Even the ones we perceive as doing something to hurt us or annoy us. And this comes right out of Scripture. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10 says, Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. 
But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. See, one of the marks of being on the right path is having a love for all of God's people. And the Bible tells us that that love will actually help us to overlook offenses or disagreements or, or hurts so that the body of Christ stays unified even when things threaten to divide it. You mean even when they don't invite me to their party and I feel hurt and bitter about that? Yeah, you still have to love them. Even when they said something that hurt my feelings? Yep, you're still supposed to love them. I used to say, even when they don't shake my hand at church, but now that's a good thing, I guess, so don't worry about it. But even when they have a, a preference or a conviction that I disagree with, even when they make a decision that I don't like, even if they actually do something that's sinful to me and hurtful to me, we still have to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean we don't lovingly confront them when we need to, but we don't snipe at them. We don't gossip about them. We don't try to turn other people against them. That's not loving all of God's people. Ray Ortland wrote this. He said, the kind of God we really believe in is revealed in how we treat one another. The lovely gospel of Jesus positions us to treat one another like royalty. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to treat each other with honor, esteeming one another as better than ourselves. And every non-gospel, he says, positions us to treat one another like dirt. But we will follow through, get this, we will follow through horizontally whatever we believe vertically. I think Ray is really onto something there. Because your love of other believers, other children of God, God's people, as Paul says, your love of other believers reflects your relationship with Jesus. And that's not just me saying that. Jesus said this. He said in John 13, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. And here's the new part, just as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? While we were sinners? While we were enemies? While we were killing him? That's how Jesus loved us. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. See, if we have received love and grace and mercy from Jesus with the separation that we have between who he is and who we are and what we as, as humans have done to him in rejecting God. If we have received that, then how much more should we be willing and humble enough to extend love and grace and mercy to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, it does raise an interesting question because it's not always easy to do. I struggle with this all the time. How do we love people when we don't feel like it? How do we love people when we're hurt? How do we love people when we're upset? How do we love people when they said that thing again that every time they say it, it just annoys me and I can't believe they said it after I told them they did. I didn't like it? How do I still love that person? And the answer is right in Colossians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, he, that's Epaphras, has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. This love that we're supposed to have for other brothers and sisters in Christ is a love that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And Paul expands on this in Galatians. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, 
envy, drunkenness, and wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the stuff to avoid. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. This is what the sinful nature produces. This is what the Holy Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature, which he mentioned first, to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Here's what Paul is saying in a nutshell. God has equipped you and enabled you to love other believers And if you're not doing it, you're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Or to put it another way, the only thing that keeps us from showing the love of God to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is when our sinful nature gets in the way. That's it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit gives love for each other. But our pride, our ego, our emotions, our sinfulness gets in the way of us showing that love. The Spirit enables us and equips us And leads us to love each other even when we don't feel like it. But we have to get out of the way. Get our pride, our ego, all that stuff out of the way. That's the second mark of being on the right path. Love for all of God's people. Here's the third one. Hope of what God has reserved for us in heaven. Paul says in Colossians 1.4, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Now, we saw already that one of the reasons the believers loved all of God's people was because the Holy Spirit gave them that love. And they didn't let their sinful nature get in the way of that. But here we see another reason they were able to love all of God's people. Because they had a confident hope in the reward that was waiting for them, what God had reserved for them in heaven. That confident hope has caused them to have a love for all the believers. You see the connection there in the text? And I wonder, why is that? How is it that their confident hope in heaven would be one of the reasons they were able to have a love for all of God's people? So think about it this way. If you could do anything you wanted to do next weekend, and money was no limitation, you could buy anything you want to buy, you could go on any vacation you want to go on, what would you do? Go ahead, shout it out. What would you do? Go to Paris? That's a good answer. What else? What would you do if you could do anything you wanted to do next weekend? What would you do? Skydive? Okay, I'm, I'm not on that train, but good for you. Go visit your brother in Montana. Absolutely. What else? Anything you want to do next weekend? Best thing you've ever done? Go to Hawaii? Yeah, that's a good one too. Skydive in Hawaii, I guess. Would that be a... Yeah. What else? Best thing you could do? Drive the Autobahn. All right. Although, don't they have a speed limit now? So, yeah. I guess it's higher. There's all sorts of great things we could come up with that we want to do. Here's what I want you to do. Think about that thing. Imagine that that thing that you just thought of, and for most of you that were too afraid to say it out loud because it would sound unchristian, 
that thing you just thought of that's the greatest thing you could, nobody said go reach the, you know, this area with the gospel. I, what's wrong with you? Anyway, I set you up for that. Imagine that thing, that awesome thing, that great thing is a done deal. You know what's going to happen. It is bought and paid for. It's on the calendar. The tickets have been purchased. It's going to happen next weekend. Saturday, it's going to happen. You just got to get through the next five days. That's all you got to do. And then you have a pretty crummy week. Somebody's mean to you. You find out a friend's been talking about you behind your back. Your boss gives you a whole bunch of extra work you have to do. Somebody in your family says something that really hurts you. Now, does the fact that you have something amazing to look forward to at the end of this week impact how you respond to those things? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had one of these situations in life where something bad happened to you, but you know something amazing is coming, and so you look at it in a completely different perspective. It's got a completely different light for you because you're just thinking about what's amazing is going to happen at the end of the week. Like, I could be down in the dumps today, but man, I'm still positive because I know that I've got this to look forward to. And that is what heaven is supposed to be like for us. The confident hope of what God has reserved for us in heaven is supposed to be that daily reminder that, hey, good things are coming, better things are in store. Whatever you're going through right now, it doesn't matter how bad it is, it pales in comparison to the glorious future that awaits us. And if you can just keep your mind on that, if you can just keep that thought in front of you, that confident hope in heaven, it's going to help you to respond better to whatever happens to you. And when you have that, then you can have that love for people because no matter what they did to you, no matter what they did that bothered you or hurt you or annoyed you or, or was sinful toward you, you're remembering, hey, you know what? In light of eternity, this isn't that big of a deal. I was the worst of sinners. God saved me so I can be in heaven with him one day. I have that confident hope. And so whatever you did to me, eh, it's okay. Because by comparison, it's so small. Paul actually says this to the Colossians. In chapter 3, he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Why? Because it changes our perspective on what we're dealing with right now. Because it can fill us with joy and peace and patience and kindness and love to remember the amazing thing God has in store for us. And it gets a lot easier to love each other when we remember that we've got an awesome future ahead of us. And remember, too, that one day, all of the children of God, all of the brothers and sisters in Christ, are going to have to live together in heaven and get along. So we might as well get used to it now. I want to pause now and just pray. And as we pray, I want you to know that after the service today, there's going to be a team of people up here who would like to pray with you. And if there's anything that you need prayer for today, maybe it's something we've talked about in the message. Maybe it's something entirely different. But after our last song, there'll be people up here to pray with you and you are welcome to come down front and we will pray with you about whatever it is. And maybe what I've talked about with Jesus and the relationship with Jesus and the faith in Jesus Christ, and maybe you're sitting there and realizing, I don't know if I have that. I don't know if I've ever actually trusted in Jesus Christ. I've kind of been counting on the things that I can do to get me there. Or I have never really fully trusted and believed. We're here to help you with that too. We want to introduce you to Jesus, the Jesus that we know personally, so that you can have a relationship with him, so that your faith can be in him, so that you too can have a confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. 
and see how that changes your life. As Paul said, it's changing lives all over the world. So would you bow in prayer with me right now? We're gonna ask God to help us to do this. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving us the message of Colossians. Thank you for teaching us how important it is to stay on the right path, to have faith in you, to have a love for all of God's people and to have that confident hope of what you have reserved for us in heaven. And Lord, I'll be the first to admit that I don't live that way every day. I didn't live that way every day this week. And so Lord, we confess. We confess that so often we hit the rumble strip. Sometimes we hit the guardrails. And we need you, God. We need to surrender. We need to get out of the way. We need to get rid of this sinful nature and just turn it over to you, Lord. And I pray that you would refine us and you would help us this week to stay on the right path, to make sure that every day we have a faith that's worth talking about, that we show love to all of God's people so much so that other people see it and go, wow, there's something different about them. Because when they disagree, they, they love each other. All because we have this confident hope in you and because your Holy Spirit enables us to do it. Lord, I pray that you would, you would empower us this week to live this out, to live out our faith in you and to love all of your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.